Welcome back to Calling Shots. It is trade deadline week. I'm Seth Partnow. I'm joined by the podium bear himself, Matt Moore, to uh, talk about what's going on this week. Matt, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? You know, I was having a nice Sunday. Just kind of <laughs> yeah. chilling with the family. Um, you know, playing around with uh, with with some data stuff, and then uh, things happened. So, yeah, yeah. Never a dull moment <laughs> in the association, even when we want one. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I think I was hanging out and getting ready to go work out yesterday. It was like, oh, everything's peaceful. The kids are behaving. Everything's good. And there's a what? And then that's <laughs> and then we were off to the races. Yeah, so where do you – I think – I mean, it's the only place to start, really. Where do you want to start with the uh, w- with the news of Furkan Korkmaz asking for a trade? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that plus – I'm enjoying that. It, it's sad, though, because, like, they're going to trade Furkan, or maybe, I guess, if anybody wants him. Um, and then there's also – but they're, they're, like, they're rumored to be uh, interested in, in bringing in Noel. And there's all, the, like, the, they can bring back all the process Sixers. They could just bring them all back, um, except for Ben, obviously. And, and it's it's a shame though, because Furcon's got to be a part of that if he's going to be if he's if he's going to be if they're going to do the reunion. KJ McDaniel's is around somewhere. Oh man, I thought KJ was going to be good. Not oh, as man. much as not as much as James Herbert did. James Herbert of CBS thought he was going to be good, good. But yeah, I thought I was like, oh yeah, like he's really good. And then no, he's not very good. Turns out being uh, 6'3", not able to shoot is uh... – anyway. Um, but for real, uh, yeah. Let's start uh, with with uh, Kyrie Irving. Um, I don't even know where to go with this. Thoughts? Like there's so many angles to take from this. I mean, I don't – I think uh, over at Mavs Moneyball, and I forget who wrote it, I think um, the, someone – our friend Kirk Henderson writes uh, – edits Mavs Moneyball, someone from there – I mean, covered kind of the obvious off-court angle, and I don't, you know, I don't know if there's much to add to that. I mean, I've, you know, there's four different ways. I wrote today, there's four different ways if I was still working for a team. I, reasons I wouldn't just throw my body in front of, you know, adding (laughs) at any acquisition cost. And that's, you know, some off-court, some on-court, some not on-court because, you know, he's never on the court. Um, But moving up past all that, like, which is a big move past, where do you want to start now that I've now that I've eliminated sixty percent of the the topics? I think the the place to start, I think, is ha, has to be what does he really do for the Mavericks that makes them better in a meaningful sense? And like, you know, if you want to tell me that they're because um, the way that we we look at at we, we look at how good is your team and equate that to that's how many games you'll win. And I don't think that that's the way that the regular season works. Um, but if you told me like this increases the average nightly winning percentage chance for the Mavericks by, I don't know, t- like 10, 15%. Sure. Like it takes you from like, you're in a coin flip um, to, you're sixty percent, like even in spread terms, right? Like, oh, if you were gonna be a pick'em on the on neutral court, adding Kyrie Irving for Spencer Dinwiddie 
uh, and Dorian Finney-Smith now makes you uh, minus one and a half. Okay. Or if you want to like go up from there, like, oh, it's, you know, it's minus two. Okay, sure. But to me, like the more interesting question is like, they are 10th in offense and 24th in adjusted defense. What does Kyrie Irving from a playoff perspective, what does he do that makes them significantly better? And I'm not saying that there's not anything, but I, that to me is like the interesting starting question is in a playoff series, where do you go? This is where Kyrie Irving is going to help them win that series. So an interesting perspective on this. I think, I think um, of all people, uh, Bob Vulgaris expressed it pretty well is I think a lot of the analysis of this is focusing on mean and median outcomes. And that's, that's fine. But on some level, this is, um, you know, a lot of times we want teams when they're behind in games to employ what underdog strategies, basically increase variance. Variance is your friend because if the, if everything bubbles along as it is, you lose. Um, to some extent, I don't. I, I frankly don't know if, if the Dallas Brain Trust is self-aware enough to realize that they've, you know, for all intents and purposes, found themselves short-stacked at this tournament. That's the analogy I used at, 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 when I wrote a dunk on today. But like, uh, I mean, do they? If they think that they are at or approaching any two cards territory, say, hey, I got an ace in my hand, so let's 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 go. Um, that's that makes some degree of sense in that the top end outcomes for this team as remote as they might be, I think got better. Interesting. Um, I, I, I don't think that, I don't know that they were a, in as that desperate a position B the juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. Like off court, other, other shit aside, just from purely basketball standpoint, but that's the best I can do with, with a logic that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing is like we can ever, I, I think most people are in the same place on it, which is this could work. The odds of it working are pretty, are, are pretty bad. And if it doesn't, we don't know what you're going to do because like the, the, the Mavs fan kind of response is, well, you know, if Kyrie leaves and they got all that cap space, but like this gets back to what our friend Kirk always talks about which is like their inability to actually land marquee free agents. And my other thing is um, with that cap space, if you don't have a history of guys taking a discount to sign with you, which you're really just talking about like four or five teams there. Um, and maybe that's high. Like what it's do you really mean? Dirk, just Dirk took several discounts to sign. Oh, that doesn't count. Sure. That's a different, yeah, a different thing. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit different. Um, th then you're probably going to wind up like you're not paying the Orlando tax. You're not paying the Indiana tax. But you're still going to probably wind up overpaying. And so, like, you're either going to overpay Kyrie Irving or you're going to overpay another, you know, sub-marquee free agent. Um, and if you say, like, well, what were the alternatives? That's where I'm, I kind of be like, yeah, okay. Like, I get it. Like, there weren't, you know, there weren't, there weren't better ones. I think the mean median discussion is interesting from the perspective of, I don't know that ceiling wins you playoff series. I think ceiling wins you like ceiling wins the playoff series that you feel best about. Like ceiling wins you that four Oh run 
like the the Mavericks when they beat the Lakers in 2011, where you're just like they just smoked them. They were just better across the board. It wasn't competitive. They ended that run. Wow, what a great performance. Um, but like a lot of series are going to come into you need to be able to win game. You're like, oh yeah, you didn't. No one shot well that game. Both teams played ugly, but one guy was able to hit shots down the stretch, and that's maybe like why you get Kyrie is like. The Mavericks, in theory, now have the best clutch combination of players of maybe anybody. Like, I don't know who's got a better clutch combo uh, in the playoffs. Like, who you would would be. (laughs) The Lakers, but that's a different different spelling. Yeah. Um, So that's the whole thing is, like, I don't know if there's – I don't know if there's a better combination of, hey – you're going you're gonna to have to hit this contested step-back isolation fadeaway in order to win this game. And you're going to need to do it three times. I don't know that anybody's got better weapons. Now, that's kind of funny considering the Mavs have actually been really bad with Luka in the clutch the last several seasons. But in theory, that I think makes them better. Um, I just kind of look at it and go, you know, th- this, is, this is a lot to – I just feel like they gave up a lot. Is, is mostly my thing is Spencer and Dorian aren't special. They're not amazing. They're not, they're not high level assets. I don't think, but giving up two starters, one of whom can defend at a high level um, and to, you know, and a first and then another two picks, even if they're second rounders. And I'm not, I'm never one to be like, Oh, it's like a rounders. I don't, I'm always like, yeah, you, you might find a Jokic. You might find a KJ McDaniel. Like this, this happens. So I get it, but I am still just kind of like, you know, you're right that they were sh- the the short stack argument makes a little bit of sense. Like they okay, you got the ace. Let's go in. But I also kind of feel like with Luca, um, you want to get your money in with the best hand. And you kind of know, like you're not one on, <laughs> you're not one on one, and you're looking around the table, and you're like, based off of the other moves, sure seems like a lot of these teams have have Ace X. Like, seems like a lot of these teams have Ace X, and I don't know that what what hand necessarily the Mavs are bringing to the table with this. Well, we, we've tortured that analogy enough, I think. <laughs> have, but I can do it for hours. I can do it for hours. Yeah. It, uh, last card coming. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it's, it's trying to, like, from a basketball standpoint, like, why to not like this deal? Is, is it in the deal of, in and of itself, or is it that they – the sort of longer term asset management roster building of the Mavericks, which is, I mean, I, there's no way around saying it's been awful. Like since they got Luca, their asset management has been really poor. Like, and that's, that's the Porzingis trade aside. Like the Porzingis trade, reasonable gamble. That's fine. Um, didn't work out. Maybe you misidentified something in terms of play style or health or anything, something like that. But the fact that you find yourself at a point where in Luca's fifth season, which is, you know, you're not exactly at the end of the runway unless, you know, you're worried about him asking for a trade tomorrow, which you might have just increased the odds of, to be frank. Um, you, how do you find yourself in, in a position where this seems like the right move? 
And I don't know how productive that is in talking about this move itself, right. but it's, it's, it's hard to disentangle them. Yeah. And I think it's, um, if you're like, if you're the mass front office, you're like, well, look, we can talk about everything that's happened in the past all you want, but you know, in, if we just talk about this move, like, here's what we got, you know, we have Kyrie Irving now. It's like, okay, all right. Um, and I think that that's a lot of this is do you, like, do you, are, are, the question for those of us that follow the league and analyze it this way is, are you going to like, even if this move works, are you going to be able to make the next move and the next move because of the, the way that you've approached these things? I mean, like, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where any team that would put themselves in a position where they need to trade for Kyrie Irving probably shouldn't trade for Kyrie Irving because they're not in a position to capitalize on what you need to be able to capitalize on with Kyrie Irving. Like, there's is a, this is this sort of the same? This is almost the, the, the. I mean, it's a very it's a very different player, and I think it's illustrative that it's a player kind of without the baggage and, and younger and probably more reliable in terms of availability and health, mostly. Um, isn't this a lot the same argument why the rumor, like the Knicks should not have beat the Cavs offer for Donovan Mitchell? A little bit, yeah. Now you mention it. Um, to be like, you, like you get Donovan Mitchell and you need to compete, compete immediately. And the Knicks needed to like get Jalen Brunson and now they need to trade Julius Randle and then they need to get, you know, like they are, it's a matter of knowing how many steps away you are. And like, this kind of gets to the whole timing issue, which I think is the most interesting thing because, and we've kind of bandied this back and forth in, in our Slack that we're in about, you know, the Pelicans, they, they draft AD and immediately they're like, we're going to build a team around AD to compete right now so that he's not languishing on a bad team. So they trade for Drew Holiday and they bring in Omer Ashik, who at the time was like considered to be at least be like a plus player. And they get all these guys. Um, and at the end of it, <laughs> you're like, you know, and, and it doesn't work out. And everyone's like, wow, you just like, you did look, look how you failed to put pieces around him. And then you have, um, Memphis, that Memphis has been painstaking in how slow they've taken this. Like, that's the big debate right now with Memphis is, are they being too patient with, like, slow rolling this? Is it, I, at some point, do you have to, like, level up if your team is there? Um, and Dallas, on the other hand, I felt like they were coming off of Dirk, and they had, like, the pieces, like, random standard veteran guys and a couple of guys that actually grew into being pretty good players like Dorian Finney-Smith. And, but like Luca was so good, they couldn't be bad enough. And it's, it's gotta be very difficult to see how good Luca is and then be like, yeah, okay. Um, and we're going to focus on what the thunder did, which is pretty get both Russell Westbrook and Jeff Green in the same draft. Right. Like, we're, you know, like that timing issue I think is, is, an interesting corollary to all of this because a lot of what's happened is like the Mavs are behind because they tried to get ahead and now are scrambling to try and catch up. That goes to a certain degree, but here, like here are the players making double digit millions on 
the Mavericks roster or were before, before, well, while this trade is still incomplete. Spencer Dinwiddie, Tim Hardaway Jr., Davis Bertans, Christian Wood, Dorian Finney-Smith, Dwight Powell, Reggie Bullock, and Maxi Kleba makes $9 million. So, like, nobody nobody forced you to <laughs> get – is there, like, is there – are there – is there – there's one playoff starting caliber player in that group for a, for a you know, one contention level starting player in that group? And that's, you know, nobody nobody made you – sign all those guys and re-sign all those guys and, and to, to longer-term deals. So to some extent, yeah, they got, quote, too good too fast to really – but they didn't have to, you know, fire all of their flexibility into the sun either. Yeah, but they also – I think I think this is part of it, though, is and the, I'd love to actually get your, your perspective on this from having worked in front offices. It feels very much to me like if there's any success – that executives and front offices are very quick to embrace it. Like, because, you know, it's like, I would put oh. it another way. I would put it, I, 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 it's similar, but I think the way I would put it is there's like a, uh, a degree of, of terror at the idea of, well, we'll figure that out later. Yeah. Like, let's not, let's not commit to this. Like, you know, the, the, you know, we have, we, we have, we know we have baseline solidity here. Let's lock that in or, well, no, you know, we can, we can, we can do baseline solid. Let's, let's, you know, not invest four years and 50 million in a role player and, and uh, figure it out later. And teams in general don't like to do that. And part of the reason why is I think a team that did do that this year is Memphis. Um, and, and that's and oh, I, I still I, I can't believe they let Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson go. And maybe Anthony Melton was a, was a miscalculation because he's because of how good he is. But certainly from a, like Kyle Anderson, like yeah, like Kyle Anderson is good and he would probably help and he's be get, give them better minutes than like David Roddy and, and Jake Laravia and Zaire Williams are giving them this year. But longer term, if you're trying to build a championship contender, you can't. You can't be signing your seventh man to, you know, to above mid-level multi-year contracts every year while you're still building. Right. So, and, and so I, I, you know, by comparison, I think I continue to applaud Memphis for at least trying to be forward thinking that way. Yeah, there's definitely a, we know this is good. So let's keep this because we know it's good rather than deal with an uncertain future that might be worse or better or just, you know, somewhere in the middle when the average, when like the likelihood is going to be pretty even um, because I think it's like, they were so heavily involved in Dorian Finney Smith talks. They were like, there were all these trades they were looking at and then they turned around and extended him. Um, one thing I did, I, another one I got for you is because like you talked about like how many playoff caliber guys is in that, that list. This same team, except for Jalen Brunson, and Jalen Brunson cannot be the difference, but this same team made the Western Conference Finals, and like, yes, the Suns thing, like, I mean, they they played yeah. the broken Jazz and and the imploding Suns, but but they got there, like this is yeah, but no, but they did, but so this is this is you know this is 
this is the same thing every year. This is, did we make the Western Conference Finals or are we a Western Conference Finals team? And, yeah. and that might sound like a semantic difference, but again, this is, I mean, to back to your point, we had the success, so we figured we deserve that, and that's the baseline. Right. Instead of like, you know, we got fortunate and we took advantage of it. But, but, a lot like, of it, but, but a lot of it too is, even from like a regular season perspective, right? Like let's, let's forget about the playoff performance because I think that's like they were ahead of the schedule. I think you have to track that. But I'm just always, I'm always fascinated when the same group of players is significantly worse than the year before. And it goes from, no, like you can believe, like these guys are good. Uh, to like, well, this just isn't working. This team just isn't good enough. I don't know why anyone thought that they would be. And like another another example of this, honestly, is no is comments. Tor- it, it's Toronto, <laughs> right? Like, look at look at Toronto, where it's really funny because like even Raptors fans are like, this team is done. Like, this team is not good enough. Like, we got like it's time for some changes. Like all these types of things. And I'm like, you guys were telling me a year ago that they could make a run that, to the like to the title is what you were trying to sell me on, which I didn't believe. But, like, this is the same team. And so it's fascinating how year over year, it's and the Mavericks, it's like, well, well, everyone just goes, well, Jalen Brunson. I'm like, look, I thought Jalen Brunson was awesome last year. He really was. He was great for them. However, like, the drop-off from where Dallas was last year from a 50-plus win team to, hey, let's sell two starters and multiple picks for Kyrie because we got to do something. That's a steep drop-off year over year for just Jalen Brunson, right? Yeah, well, and again, I mean, it's it's. I think some of, some of that is like the expectations that last like the, the last year's performance was the baseline, and yeah, um, I mean, I mean, you can you can speak you can you can confirm exactly how short the Mavs this year I was. And it's, 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 so it's from an outside perspective, like the regression was imminently predictable. Um, now some things have, you know, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith not being able to shoot at the start of the year, although Reggie Bullock not being able to shoot at the start of the year is like an annual thing um, at this point. Um, and then Maxi Kleba like tearing his hamstring in half. Okay. But shit happens. And I think it's, you know, I think we're, I mean, we're, but, Again, we're I think we're belaboring too much the how did we get here aspect yeah. of this. And and I mean I think and and just, you know, I think we are of similar opinion about the deal itself and it's going to be messy either way. It just might be me- it, there's there's some chance it'll be messy good and a lot of chance it'll be messy bad. Um and I don't like I'm not sure what other prognostications we can give beyond that. Um, what, how do you think the Nets did here? That's another, that, that's another tough one. Um, it's like, well, again, what's your baseline? I mean, it's, it's like, what are you, what are you measuring what they have now against? Is it against the hypothetical Nets team where Kyrie Irving is healthy and engaged and in tune with what the team is doing? Well, they got all, they got a lot worse. Now over here in, in, in Planet Earth 1.0, where I think we all recognize that that's a that is a uh, a largely fantasy land. Um, I think they did pretty well. Again, I I 
if I've been pretty clear on this for a while, that if I am trying to win a title, I want Kyrie Irving nowhere near my team because I don't think you can rely on him. And that's, you know, that's across multiple dimensions. Um, so from that standpoint, getting a, what could be a very, even if it's not a valuable pick at the time, I think it is a valuable trade chip, a very good complimentary defender to, to Kevin Durant and a, you know, a reasonable ball handler who with reports sort of believe they might be looking to, you know, send somewhere else. I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know how the salaries work, but you know, Spencer Dinwiddie to Minnesota for Nas Reed somehow. Like, I don't know. I'm just making that up on the spot, but because Nas Reed is like the guy who, who seems like he makes sense for the Nets because they're just, they're one big short. Yeah, so I, I think I, I kind of look at it as how did you handle when it's these types of situations? Then I actually do kind of shift away from how could you have avoided this into all right, but you had to deal with the situation. How did you handle the situation? Yeah, and. I mean, you have to you have to account for like how culpable are you for getting yourself into this situation, and then that's obviously complicated because it's like you you know okay well you signed up for this, but at the same time you didn't sign up for this. Yeah, yeah. I I have a lot. Of, I don't know. I have a lot of sympathy for the Nets um, from the standpoint of how much Kyrie and KD just seem to be like. Hey, we're doing this, and the Nets were like, "We can't say no. We're we're getting Kyrie and KD. Like this is awesome." And then they wound up with like, "Oh, like we don't. Oh, like they 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 want to pick their own coach and they want to run their own offense and they want like this is a whole other thing. This is not like a basketball team. It's a branding experience." Um, I I just I, I'm very curious about the books that will come. Yeah. About so about this. Yeah. So. Here's the other part that makes me is that like, yeah, sure. From a talent standpoint, they got worse. Do you know what their difference in, in how they performed with and without Kyrie Irving over the course, over the time he spent, he was on their roster was. Uh, it, I remember Schumann had some numbers on this that, and like, I've looked at some of the data, which basically says like, Hey, like they were better with Kyrie next to KD. Um, than they were with KD without Kyrie, but that it really gets into no Kyrie, no KD was better than Kyrie, no KD. Um, but what have you got for me? No, so they were actually slightly better with KD and out and without with no Kyrie at this point. I think that, that a lot of that was kind of earlier in the year when they had some nice wins, but they. Uh, about a 55 win, and it's not, you know, the, the KD no Kyrie games, there's like 40 game sample or something like that because right. of, of how, um, but they were, uh, they were about a 55 win pace then and about a 52 win pace with both. Uh, with just agnostic of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's three and a half years there, uh, they wanted a 47 win pace in the games he played and a 46.7 win pace in the games he did not play. So, and, and like, obviously there's more going on than just that, but um, how nutritional were the calories is, is right. a question one sort of has to ask there. Yeah. And that's kind of like where I get to, and I, I kind of posed this on, on Twitter where I was just like, I don't know. And again, this kind of gets back to like the original thing. I just don't know what it is that he like does that. You're just like, boy, we got to have that. Um, and a lot of this is, is for me is, 
it, it's difficult because you could you could be like, well, you don't like him, and it's like, well, that's that's probably true. That's accurate. Um, but there's a lot of guys that I may not like that I can assess their games accurately, and Kyrie's one of them. Where I'll, I'll just say this: there are these possessions that would always bother me, and it happened in Cleveland, and it happened in Brooklyn. It happened less so in, in Boston, but it happened in Cleveland and it happened in Brooklyn, where it's like the team would have these awesome sequences of ball movement. The ball's popping, it's moving, like KD's drawing a double and they're swinging it and they reverse it and like all this ball movement and all these pros that know how to play together are all doing what they need to, need to do and they're, they're about ready to create like a really awesome shot and then Kyrie catches it and then Kyrie's like, um, I'm going to just kind of catch it and hold on for a second and then I'm going to take a contested shot and that's what I'm going to do because I'm Kyrie. And he hits it, like he hits it a decent amount of the time. But those are always situations I think are really interesting because it's like Kyrie would get credit if he made those when I'm like, yeah, but he, like, he broke the chain. Like he just, he hit a contested shot because that's what he could do. And you don't necessarily like, you know, you don't need, uh, you, don't, you don't need all the ball movement and all the good offense, but it does help with getting other guys involved. I don't know. I have a hard time with like trying to assess how Kyrie's incredible combination of skill, what, how to incorporate that and maximize it to the best of its ability when it's so individually driven you know no that's i mean that that that's fair um let's let's put down the mavericks piece of this uh, and talk a little bit more about the net side and then i think finish off with the last 15 minutes or so or, or however long we have left after that uh, about kind of the broader landscape heading into thursday um where does this leave the Nets as a playoff team this year? Again, we have to start with, okay, assume Kevin Durant is healthy because obviously Kevin Durant not healthy is – Oh, man, that's no. not even – that's not the question. The question is, like, does KD want to stay? That's the, that's number one. Like, question number one is what did KD think of this deal? I mean, I, I mean unless, you know, unless we get a, a, a tweet notification while we're talking here, I, it doesn't feel likely that there's a – Famous last words. Doesn't feel likely that there is a KD move between now and Thursday. So yeah, fine. He maybe he doesn't like it and wants out. KD's also, you know, he's a baller. He's gonna play hard, like because that's what he, like you, whatever else you want to say about KD, he's not a guy we've ever seen. I don't like this situation, so I'm gonna loaf. Right. Or I'm, um, you know, he's not gonna do what Kyrie would have done, which is just like make you miserable. And to it, it's to his credit. But, like, this was part of the thing over the summer, and this is what a lot of people around the league said, which is just like, look, Kevin's not going to – Kevin's not going to tank the season. Like, he's not – you know, if, if this doesn't go sideways, he's not going to hold out. He's not going to refuse to play. Like, Kevin Durant's going to play basketball. That's what Kevin Durant's going to do. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, confidence in that approach because of who Kevin is. But at the at the same time, if you're the Nets and you've just gotten rid of – you've gotten rid of the headache – right? You've gotten rid of the headache and there's any noise whatsoever about what's going to happen next. Um, and KD makes it clear like that he's not thrilled with the situation. Uh, like, I don't know what the Nets choose there. They, they've shown a, a high capacity for dealing with this situation, but I don't know what that means for them in, in this particular situation. But anyway, let's assume, let's assume, yeah. uh, to your credit, that, that KD's going to hang around. Let's assume that he's going to, he's good. He's like, no, no, I said I'd play. I'll play. It's fine. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to deal with the other part till July. 
basically. Right. Let's um, just, yeah, let's, like let's stipulate uh, that. Much like LeBron, I'm locked in, right? Um, so let's assume that the the training Spencer thing I think is really interesting, especially because they've been looking at moving Patty, Seth, or Joe Harris, or a combination of them for like several weeks slash months. They're open to those moves, and that gives them a, like a lot of flexibility for what they want to do from a trade perspective. Um, they can make these moves to kind of try and get better. Now, I don't know if they can find a big, which is like the only thing that they're really missing. Clax is really good on the switch, but they could use a little bit more front court muscle and scoring. Um, I, I still think this team's really good. I just think like part of me is just kind of like Kevin Durant and four really good defenders who are not negative offensive players is a really good combination. You know, and Ben Simmons is obviously the the fly in that ointment, but I don't know if he's going to play or not. So I I kind of think that they might still be good. Like, I think that and, that's possible. And, like, Ben Simmons, who hand, has the ball all the time because he has to. Right. Like, you, you want to – I mean, a you could start much worse for a playoff defense than Durant, Simmons, Claxton, Finney-Smith. Right. Like – you know, maybe maybe you keep Joe Harris. Joe Harris is a credible defender. That's a, you know, that is a that is an interesting lineup, an interesting closing lineup. Would you not agree? Again, we're assuming things about you know several of the players. We're assuming Joe Harris, like you know, gets back to something to, something close to his peak as a shooter. We're assuming Katie is healthy and locked in. We're assuming a whole lot about <laughs> about Ben Simmons. So it's in some ways it's the same. Uh, it's almost the same. Uh, well, we got outs uh, as the as the Mavericks were in, um, right? But at least it, they're in a better situation to kind of reset from here. The the OG conversation is legitimately pretty interesting. Like it's an inter- it that's an that's an interesting question. Let's go there. Um, you know, tr- Toronto is the is the, you know, aside from Jay Crowder, um, like Toronto now, kind of seems like they 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 hold the keys. Um, the consensus seems to be that they might not do anything because either people are scared of dealing with Masai Ujiri or he's going to hold out for you know maximal maximal value and be willing to head into the off season, you know, kind of unchanged if he doesn't get it. So I wonder, does this, does this shake anything loose? Does a team like fine, we'll do it. Or does it, or I don't know. Does did you, what do you think about that as a theory and you know, what's likely to shake out now? I always kind of lean towards uh, teams, not doing things. GMs are stubborn about these things. I also think we have a history with Masai. Uh, somebody mentioned this to me with the Fred Van Vliet thing where I was like, well, yeah, but you know, Fred wants his money and he's going to be gone. And somebody was like, yeah, just like Lowry was. Like, Lowry wanted his money and was going to be gone. And they waited through the deadline and then they got the sign trade anyway. They got precious. They got an asset. Got what they want. Like, they got something for him anyway. Um, I mean, and- to, to bring it back, um, yeah, we don't got to make that deal now. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. And that's um, why Masai is one of the better execs in the league, I think it's fair to say. 
at the same time, I do think that there's kind of been there has been a shift in terms of his urgency and him and, and Webster's urgency. Like uh, the sense I've gotten is that they do seem a little bit more like they're still tr- trying to screw you the way every GM is trying to screw you. But they're a little bit more interested in genuinely having these discussions rather than slow rolling everything and being like, we well, you know we're pretty good. We're fine. We can make the playoff. Like there's none of that. Like they know like, no, the team's not good. Um, it's it's going to be expensive. They're losing assets. They have chemistry. The biggest problem is honestly they have chemistry issues. Like that's their, their real bigger issue. So the team doesn't like playing together and they got to figure that, that part out. So I kind of think there will be some moves. Like I would actually put Van Vliet at a, a small minus number to get moved. I would put Gary Trent Jr. at a small minus number to get moved. Uh, and I would put OG at a small plus number to get moved. But OG I've been resistant on just because of how what I've heard about the asking price for him. Pascal's not getting moved. I feel fairly confident that unless someone does something incredibly dumb, Pascal, which it's hard to, to make a dumb offer for Pascal Siakam, which is how dumb it would have to be. Um, but unless somebody does something really stupid, we're not going to see Pascal moved. However, we get into the OG, and this is where I, I do think the Brooklyn idea is like kind of interesting. Uh, hey, you know we got we've got we now have a pick. We have a draft pick to send you. Um, we have Cam Thomas, so you can have another uh, scoring guard that wants his own team later. But right now it's cost controlled, right? You got Cam for a few more seasons on his rookie deal. Um, throw in Dayron Sharp if, if they're interested. Throw in whoever the Raptors are interested in from the the, the random guys that, that the Nets have. And if you're like KD, Claxton, OG, and the model is like, we're going to play not good defense, we're going to play amazing defense. And that's our model. I actually kind of think that that might be something that can make some ruckus in an Eastern conference that is full of really good teams, but short on teams that have all the answers to all the problems. I think the league is short on those teams right now in general. Yeah. Um, so I want to like, how much of the chemistry stuff is it, is it personality stuff or is it just the fact that they, um, the way they have to play because of their talent means everyone is frustrated all the time because it's yeah. a, it's a very, it's, it's a lot of people being in each other's way and a lot of people like being asked to do things that they can't really do. And so everyone's mad. I think it's also stale. I think that they mm. got away for a lot of years with high energy because of the leftover belief in each other from the championship run. And now it's just like, okay, but we haven't done anything. And, you know, it's like we we went to the bubble and we lost to the Celtics. And then um, we had a few runs and that was okay. Like last year we put up a fight versus the, the Sixers, but like everybody knows I will say I am, I am becoming a little bit more attached to this concept of you can watch certain teams and tell when that team knows that they don't have it and that they know that like where this is eventually going. Like you watch the Washington wizards and the problem with the wizards is really not honestly their, their talent. Their talent isn't great. They don't have championship level talent. But they also don't have, like, garbage talent either. The problem is that, like, everyone with the Washington Wizards knows, like, we're all just trade bait. Like, we're all just waiting. And even if they don't want to trade us, like, that's where this ends up going. And 
So like I'm I'm kind of bought into that idea, and I think that's part of the thing with the Raptors. I will also say like they are exhausted. Like Nurse basically being like, look, we have no bench. Our entire model is based off of extreme high energy. Like we just we beat teams with effort, and I can only trust like high effort from not very good players doesn't get you anywhere. So he just plays the starters in high effort minutes, 40 minutes a game, and that's not sustainable. And so uh, that's where I think the combination uh, comes in and is, has reached the end of its, its shelf life. That that all makes sense. Um, okay, so the Raptors might do something. Van Vliet's an interesting person who could end up somewhere. I don't know I don't know how many teams Gary trying to actually move the needle for. And obviously, as you said, OG is you know, you can you, we we could we could rip rip off four teams right now that like add OJ to OG to them and they're really interesting. I mean yeah. now that now that uh, Washington isn't trading Kuzma, the uh I'll, I'll I'll switch immediately my MPJ for Kuzma idea to MPJ for OG. Now I would say that's probably less likely because I think that Toronto probably is less interested than than that than Washington might be, just you know, reading tea leaves from the outside. But still, you know, you Denver, you the Cleveland, whoever you know, Brooklyn, as you said, it's a number of teams. You put OG on that team. I mean, you put OG on Miami, and all of a sudden they're. I mean, that's not that would be a that would be a uh, a you know a Pat Riley era Heat reboot a little bit. It's like we're going to have you know Bam and Jimmy and OG and maybe a guard who can shoot and try to bludgeon you to death every game. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't work. I still don't know that they have enough offense. I still feel, I still feel like they're going to be so short on offensive firepower. Um, sure. Like I was, I was listening to, I've listened to a bunch of rap podcasts lately because their fans are really smart and their media people are really smart. And they're all kind of in agreement of, they were waiting on OG to make this leap in terms of shot creation and playmaking, like being able to do stuff on ball with what he can do. And it just never came. And so that, you know, if he's going to go somewhere, it's going to have to be, I think, next to a, a premier creator. Uh, him in Memphis is very interesting. That raises their ceiling a little bit for me when I'm pretty low on, on Memphis's ceiling to a large degree. Um, that helps them, I think, quite a bit. At the same time, I don't know um, if it raises let's, it enough. Pelicans is let's finish there, actually. Let's finish on Memphis because this is an interesting one, and you're you you follow them pretty closely. Um, <clears throat> how do, does getting OG resolve the Dylan Brooks problem? And I'm not saying Dylan Brooks is a problem per he se. He is. Everybody knows. I mean, no, I mean okay. he, he he is a problem insofar as if he is going to operate as your number three offensive option. That's a problem. I think Dylan Brooks has a role on a very on a championship level team. The role he has is not the role he has on this current Memphis team, and yeah. some of that is almost by necessity. But some of that is sort of legacy of of that's the role he had as they were kind of coming up. Yeah, where I kind of get to on the OG thing is a lot of it. Is I don't know where Pear is at. Uh, with what, where, with how, how far he's willing to go. Um, getting any owner in that market, <laughs> I'll put it this way, any owner that would buy the Memphis Grizzlies 
is likely not going to be the type of owner that's going to be like, yeah, no, we'll pay Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson and Ja and OG. You might be able to pay three. You might be able to pay Desmond Bain and, and Jaron with where the cap's going. But paying all three of them and OG, that's where it gets tough. Like, it's honestly one of the impressive things that, that the Cronkies have done in Denver, despite all of their cheapness, is they really were like, no, no, yeah, we, we gave Jamal Max and um, we gave Joker Max and we gave Aaron Gordon the $100 million that he wanted and we gave Michael Porter Jr. the money that he wanted. And that's worked out, honestly, amazing this season. We'll see long term. Um, like Not so much last year. Not so much last year, but this year it's it really like it's been really good. Uh, you want honestly uh, one thing on that? It's been really good because last year kind of like humbled him in terms of I'm gonna have to like really I have to make my career last, so I better buy in. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I think I think the OG to Memphis thing is a very interesting concept, and it makes them better. I also think that like the best thing to do there is to move Jaron, and then if you have to move Bain later, maybe OG provides insurance against it or you can flip og later and get back you know supporting pieces that when you're in a veteran state and not having to play jake laravia and zaire williams and all these guys so like if it blows them up for a, a run right now for sure um i think it's like it makes prudent sense for memphis to give the kind of package that the raptors are going to want it's just it's still you're. There's no way you're going to come out of the an OG trade being like, "Wow, they got a steal." You're just not. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, it, I'm. I'm struggling heading into this trade deadline just to calibrate what a championship team looks like because, again, everyone's so flawed. So, like the drawbacks, are they good enough? With blah blah blah, it's like, well, if the Warriors were around, no. But they're not. So, what does that leave them? Um, does that make sense? Um, I think it's evolved in an interesting way in that there's a lot more player for player stuff out there than I thought there would be. It looked like it was going to be a really dead one because there was nothing but buyers. There's been like I don't know a few a few more sellers, but mostly it seems like there's a lot of teams that are more like we're willing to switch it up. Like we like what we've got. But we want to see if we can like change some of the pieces around. Now, getting those deals done is always tough, right? The easiest deals to get are, hey, I'm a buyer. I want to get better right now. Hey, we're a seller. We want to move contracts and get future stuff. Like that's where you could get get deals done. I think easier. But there's enough of of noise out there from Chris Paul, Zach Levine, um, all you know, the, the, the Raptors guys, even Kyle Lowry that there's enough teams that are open to these discussions. It's not like, no, 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 we're like, we're all like really competing. It's weird. There's a parody, but there aren't as many teams that are like, we really think we've got a shot as you might think in, in this type of parody scenario. Interesting. Uh, last thing before we, we have to, we have to wrap here. Um, one fake trade you think is going to happen. Right, so it's not fake trade. One, one random <laughs> prediction. One random person. <laughs> um, I will say the Clippers, that Terrence Mann is no longer a Clipper, and that I have to pick one of Conley, Lowry, or Van Vliet. I'll say Van Vliet. 
I'll say the Van Vliet winds up being a Clipper, and I wind up buying way too much into what the Clippers could be. <laughs> That's uh, Terrence Mann winding up on the Raptors seems almost overdetermined. Yeah. Yep. Just like, oh, look, another one. Another. Um, <laughs> look, look, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Matt, I, I, I appreciate you coming on as as always. Um, I know it's a it's a busy week for everyone, so I'll let you get back to. Uh, to I guess monitoring uh, various Twitter accounts to see when the next uh, when the next bomb is going to drop. <laughs> um, uh, appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. Yep. Thanks, thanks so much for listening. Be back Wednesday with.